plenty of other things that you could think of, like Carol said, just plant that one last plant. <laughs> Russell brought treats in. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, don't be shy about coming up and getting it if you want it, but it's a whole mini loaf. You can cut them in half. Oh, you did. Okay. There we go. If anybody's watching at home, they're probably going, what is going on right now? <laughs> Russ baked. He brought in goodies. It's Yes, it's the reason that you should be here. There you go. Okay, you guys, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for bringing us together again on this beautiful June evening. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be present in this space, that, um, that he would prepare our hearts and our minds to really have a good understanding and a grasp of what it is that you have for us in, in community and what that means and what it looks like to be part of a community Lord, I pray that our conversations and um, teaching and, and learning would be honoring to you and point us to you and your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to use this again. Um, yeah? Okay. Hello. Well, that, hello. <laughs> So last week we talked about dignity and gratitude, and then um, I kind of threw this question out there at the end, how does dignity and gratitude have an impact on the greater community um, beyond just our relationships that we have with each other? And then I also you have the pondering questions that you ha have every single week, like what stuck out to you, what was challenging to you, you heard God speak to you in, in a certain way, is there anybody that wants to share something that kind of, I don't know, pops out or was like, aha? So we were talking about uh, being content. Yeah. And part of that was being, uh, being grateful and also being... Um, um, what should I say? Oh, it was gas. Uh, uh, gratitude, uh, service, and also um, attendance or um, working with others. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, I, I, I thought so some of the things that I'd like to keep in mind during the course of the week are, and of course part of, of, of uh, grace and gratitude is trust. Right. I always remember what Ronald Reagan said to the Russians, trust but verify. <laughs> so.
So you repeat that often, Russ. I know. Trust but verify. We'll talk about trust. Um, I am. I did make an adjustment. If you have the original kind of sheet of what we're going to cover, I realized that last week I tried to cram too much in, and so today we'll just um, be talking about promising or promises, and then next week we'll talk about um, truthfulness, living truthfully. And then the last week, we'll combine hospitality and um, worship together. Anybody else have something to share from last week? Something that struck you? This well, thank you. Appreciate that. Okay, so in introducing um, promises, I want to read again, of course, um, from Romans chapter 12. So if you want to take out um, a Bible, one of the blue Bibles. Rick, do you have the page number memorized? 948. Thank you. You're good for a lot of things, Rick. Okay. Hebrews chapter, I'm sorry, Romans. Romans. I mean, we are on Hebrews on Sunday. It's been a long time. All right, so Hebrews, no, Romans, Romans, <laughs> chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with them, with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the, lo the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to, thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this is, kind, this is really pointing, again, we talked about this in the last two weeks, to this vision, this picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ, a Christian. And so it's kind of like a recipe. It's an instruction type of um, manual. And so when I look at this, being a follower of Christ asks us to commit to these attitudes and postures and behaviors that we read in Romans chapter 12. So he's asking us to commit to these behaviors. And a commitment is promise. 
and we'll define these different terms. I did your sheets a little bit differently and I gave you the definition because I felt like, why not? <laughs> Instead of having you like listen hard and write it down. And that will give you more room to write notes that, um, that might like something triggers in your mind. So promise, the definition of promise is to assure someone that one will definitely do, give, or arrange something, undertake, or declare that something will happen. So we are assuring somebody else that we are going to do something, give something, or arrange something. This is action. And a commitment is the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause activity, etc. Also a pledge or an undertaking. So again, action. You can see the similarities between a promise and a commitment, and I feel like we use those interchangeably um, in when we talk about relationships or we talk about people. Um, and we also see that oftentimes when we're talking about passages of the Bible, commitment and promises. So promise keeping Promise-making, promise-keeping, and fidelity, along with commitment, are the central to how we understand God's character. Listen again. Promise-making, promise-keeping, fidelity, and commitment are central to how we understand God's character. When we think about God, we think about his character as being all of these things. We live by faith in a God whose character is steadfast love. So it shouldn't surprise us that making and keeping promises are also at the heart of what is best for all human relationships. If this is God, if the God we know is steadfast in love, and that means that he is making promises, keeping promises, he's making commitments, and he has fidelity to his commitments and promises, it should not be a surprise to us that that would be an expectation of us in any relationship that we have. The reality is that promises really shape our lives. They're a big part of our lives, but I don't know that we necessarily pay a lot of attention to them on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, Margaret uh, Farley, she is an ethics professor from Yale and she says this about promises. The history of the human race, as well as the story of any one life, might be told in terms of commitments. At the heart of this history lies a sometimes hidden narrative of promises, pledges, oaths, compacts, committed beliefs, and projected visions. At the heart of any individual's story, too, lies the tale of her or his commitments, wise or foolish, sustained or broken, fragmented or integrated into one whole. So when we think about promises, they're like this internal framework of our relationships and life, really. I can't even imagine, after reading this and preparing, I was like, we actually couldn't be in relationship with people if there wasn't some type of commitment or a promise that we make to one another or assume about one another. 
So it's kind of like the structure, like our skeleton. It holds up all of the structures and the, and the working systems of our body. It's like the framework. When we make promises, we are voluntarily obligating ourselves. When we make promises, we are, we are voluntarily obligating ourselves to perform some future course of action, in, maybe in that moment or in the future. And this is most often to benefit another, another person. I mean, we can make promises to ourselves. Those are the promises that I'm probably most likely to break. Like, I promise I'm going to get up at 6.30 and go for a walk by 7. I've actually said that to myself the last three nights when I have gone to bed. Set my alarm for 6.30 with every intention of getting up and getting out the door at 7, and it hasn't happened yet. So the promises that I make to myself, like if I don't tell anybody, nobody knows that I'm, not, I'm breaking them, right? Like, I shouldn't have told Steve that I wanted to go for a walk because he's like, why didn't you go for a walk? And then I feel bad. So these are voluntary obligations that we make of ourselves, and it usually is going to benefit another person. Think about some of the, I think you have space on your worksheet. I didn't bring one up here. Did Think about some of the promises that you have made in your life. Like there's so many of them. Just list as many promises, big or small, that you have made in your life. Or promises that other people have made to you and you expect them to be kept. Yes, wedding vows are promises. We'll talk about that a little bit later, too. Job connections? Yep. Do you mean like in an employment type of situation? Yes, and we, we will talk about that. Yep, promises in an employment arrangement or something. Honeydews. Well, hmm. My honeydew list is usually like a list that I make and then I set it out hoping that Steve will see it. But it's not really, you know, mm, he usually doesn't make promises about it. I could promise that this list is going to remain until everybody, everything is finished, which I usually do because I'm a list maker. Like these things need to be done and then I can cross it off and feel good. Yep. Yes, commitment to children. When you have children, you hopefully are making a commitment to raise them and be a parent, care for them, provide for their needs. Yeah, at baptism you make commitments. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. Baptism, um, like... Um, Baptism by submersion, you know, people are usually saying something, they're, they're, dec they're declaring their commitment to their following Jesus, their faith in Jesus. Also, baptisms in other faith traditions, when, when infants are baptized, parents are making a commitment there as well.
What about some of the little things? That you just, like the things that you don't even actually think about as a promise. Joining a committee. What is the expectation when you join a committee? You will do your part. Yep, you'll do your part in the group as part of the committee. And I would even say beyond that, or like even before that, you commit yourself to show up, right? Yeah. Yes, being part of church ministries, volunteering, you are committing yourself to show up on a scheduled Sunday or Wednesday or whatever it is. You're making the promise that you will be there. Your mortgage, your car payment, those are different kinds of promises as well. Those are bigger. And we'll talk about the different kinds of promises that we make as well. Activities. Yep, getting your kids to activities. So when our kids um, sign up for something, we know that we, we are actually the promiser, right? <laughs> like when our kids are little, we are, we are committing ourselves to getting our kids to practice, making sure they have the equipment that they need, that they get to the games, that we'll pick them up on time after the games when the bus comes. We're making that commitment for our children. Yep. Yes, homeschoolers make a commitment to educate their children. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. So when Yes, when you agree to meet somebody for coffee, you expect them to show up. I had a friend um, last week that was telling me that she actually got to the restaurant and after seven minutes of waiting, texted her friend and say, hey, I'm in a booth, you know, here. And the person says, oh my gosh, did you not get my text? I can't make it, I have to reschedule. Oops. But right, if that kind of thing happens over and over with the same person, yeah. Bring your library books back on time. Or be fined. <laughs> yes, you will bring rental equipment back on time and not broken, right? When you rent a car, you bring it back fueled or you pay a higher price for them fueling your car. So I think the last time I rented a car, I actually had to tell them whether or not I was going to bring it back full or whether or not so they, they could expect that. And so if I said I'm going to bring it back full, I, uh, that's what they expect me to do. Supper. Supper. Yeah. I actually think that that's sometimes... Um, an assumed promise, at least it is at our house, because now we have four adults living in our home, because I consider, I mean, Max graduated from high school a few weeks ago. I consider him an adult. So now the adults outnumber the kids in our house, and I feel like, can we share in the responsibility of adulting in our house? Yeah. 
Commitments by our congressional leaders. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> we, yes, right. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. 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 So oftentimes, yes. So when you're talking about, like, if you're a, a construction contractor, you are expecting your subcontractors to show up. You have a schedule you're trying to maintain. You expect them to show up when they say they're going to show up, but rain happens, things happen, and then things shift a little bit. So there are situations when we do have to release somebody from their obligation. Grace, right? I feel like when promises are broken, that's when I oftentimes will just like, like, I have to remind myself to be gracious, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I do think we have to work at being gracious. So there are, we, taught, we listed a bunch of different kinds of promises, and there are, there are formal types of promises, like when you make an oath or a vow or a covenant, which is language of the church or that comes from the Bible. And then there's informal ones, like we mentioned, picking up your kids, stopping at the grocery store on the way home, meeting somebody for lunch or coffee. I think about some of these little informal promises that I have made since becoming a parent and how, like, prepping for this, I was a little convicted about how often, because it was a child, I, I didn't... I didn't come through with my promise. Like if we, you know, um, could you stop? Well, this is my favorite one that I actually don't have to do anymore. Um, if you're going to Brainerd, could you pick up 50 small crickets? Yep, sure can. And I might be running late or sometimes, honestly, I just didn't feel like running into PetSmart for crickets. And so then I'd be like, nope, sorry, you have, you have a license in a car. <laughs> So sometimes we give ourselves permission to not follow through with a promise because of who the promise is made to. We make good promises and bad promises. Bad promises would be ones like that you, you're not really sure that you can follow through with. That might be bad from the get-go. If somebody says something like, I promise to get revenge, that's a bad promise. I mean, that's, that's actually one that you hope somebody doesn't follow through with. So there's good, good promises and bad promises. We don't really pay a lot of attention to all of these promises until something happens or it collapses or breaks down. This is where fidelity comes into play. And I think this is where we talk about, like, I think when we talk about... Um, politics and some of our representatives, and we talk about fidelity. The, defini the definition of fidelity means faithfulness to a person, cause, or belief demonstrated by continuing loyalty and support. 
faithfulness. So fidelity is faithfulness, believing that somebody will do something. If you believe that I am going to do something, you have the faith in me that I will do it. My fidelity is higher. Like, okay, to my kids, you know, if, I, if you asked my kids, how is your mom's fidelity to her promises? They may be like, mm, 50-50? I hope it's better than that, but maybe, I don't know. I'm feeling kind of convicted about it now. So you want your fidelity to be high. You want people to be able to trust you. We learn about this fidelity thing at a very early age, actually, before we even realize what a promise is. For example, before cell phones, when I got done with soccer practice, I knew that the bus was going to be there to get me home. I depended on the bus. The school promised that there would be an activity bus to get me home. Okay? When I have kids at school in a school that doesn't have an activity bus, I am the activity bus. And it's my responsibility. So this promise that I will pick my kids up the promises to my child or the school so they don't have to hang out until somebody picks her up. Although I did, I did mess up on this really big last, win, last fall. Volleyball game. They get home. Lily texts me. I'm here at a meeting. Like Steve and I are hosting a small group leader dinner Lily texts me and says, where are you? I totally forgot. I'm like, I, I don't even know what to do right now. Thankfully, my friend Holly was like, I'll go pick her up, no problem. But poor Lily, when she got home, she was like, mom, I was the last person. I was the last person there. And nobody, wa nobody waited with me. I was like, wait a minute. No adult <laughs> waited with you? Nope. So after that, what do you think Lily did when I was supposed to pick her up? Do you promise you're going to pick me up? Do you promise you're going to pick me up? Yes, I promise. So, I mean, she learned, she learned last year that her mom's not as, as reliable as she wishes she was probably in picking her up. When you don't come home on time or your kids don't come home on time, we look at the fidelity of their promises that they make to us. When you're not where you say you're going to be. And here's one <laughs> that I think really young kids learn about fidelity and promises real early. If you, if you are good at the grocery store, we will stop at the Dairy Queen on the way home for ice cream. And you blow right by. Oh, sorry, I forgot. Like, honestly, I, f I totally forgot. Again, fidelity of a promise. It's interesting. Steve and I um, teach a Parenting with Love and Logic class, and one of the things they talk about in there is um, chores. Like, when kids say, oh, I forgot. Like, I can't even tell you how many times I would ask a kid in the morning, could you please empty the dishwasher and then load it? And then I get home, and there's even more dirty dishes, and it's not unloaded. And the kid who I asked says, oh, my gosh, I forgot. 
but you wouldn't forget if I promised you ice cream like 10 days ago. You would totally remember that for 10 days, right? So we teach our kids, we learn about fidelity of promises at a pretty early age. We make and depend on promises because we know that as human beings, we are often inconsistent and we find it hard to live and love without some assurances. We want some kind of assurance that our activity, our connection, our relationship is worthwhile. We want some assurance, and that's part of fidelity as well. What does all of this really have to do with community? This whole idea of promise keeping. Why is the practices, why is the practice of promises so important in community? Even from what we just said. The practice of, the practice of promises, making promises, keeping promises, commitments are about our fidelity, being trustworthy, following through. It's about our character, right? It's about how we live in relationship and in community with each other. The Christian faith is rooted in promises, right? This entire book, is, it's full of them. That's what this book is about. It's an account of all of the promises, covenants, um, and God's fidelity, right? We see it in creation. He made a promise to Noah. He made promises to Abraham and Sarah, Moses, to the Israelites, the promised land. He made all of these promises, and he made a promise to us. Because of this, because of what we've seen and hear about God's character, his steadfast love, his fidelity to his promises, we can have faith in the promise of heaven, right? That's why fidelity, that's why promising is so important in community and in relationships. For those that have accepted Jesus as their Savior, who understand who is I, who his, what his identity is and what he represents, become people of the new covenant, the new promise. We talked about that in Hebrews. In fact, I got to preach on the new covenant. The new covenant is better than the old, the law. And the book of Hebrews goes through so, like so many different examples, pulling from the Old Testament, saying the new, like, the new covenant in Jesus is better than this. And so this invitation into this covenantal relationship that we have means something, right? We are now participating in a promise. When you are participating in a covenantal relationship, do I have covenantal on your sheet? On the very bottom. Um, so a covenantal relationship is to assure someone that one will, oops, sorry, that's not right. Where do I have it on here? What does it say? Can you do it one more time? No. Do you want me to? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll do it. 
Um, a chosen relationship or partnership in which two parties make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. Okay, so a covenantal relationship means that we aren't, like each party is going to receive something, right? Each party is going to give something and each party is going to receive something. That's a covenantal relationship. So now if we accept Jesus as our Savior and we choose to follow him, we are making a covenantal commitment to be a follower of Christ. So God has promised us grace, salvation through Jesus, and what is it that we are asked, expected to give in return? Obedience? Yep. Obedience to what? To God, yeah, and what he says about how to live in community, right? Right. So our promise in this covenantal relationship, remember, okay, the covenant relationship, it's two people making the decision, and remember what the definition of promise is, look at that again, to assure someone that will def, uh, definitely do give or arrange something, undertake or declare that something will happen. Okay. So I really think that being in community, coming to church on a Sunday morning, coming to Wednesday nights, coming to a class like this is part of that covenantal relationship, right? Why is that part of it? Why do people come to church? There's lots of reasons. You can give me any. I'm not looking for a, a like right one. Why do people come to church? Fellowship? Learning more? Worship? Work together? Encouragement? Belonging? Connection? Commitment? Learning together? Fidelity? Yeah, yeah cookies and cake, yes, good coffee, snacks on Sunday. Right, we come together in community to learn, and that's one of the things that I really appreciate about Eric this last fall and being so intentional about, um, you know, him talking about his, himself as, I'm not the only expert on this stuff. You know, I'm not the expert. We can wrestle with some of this stuff. Some of the stuff in here is hard. And I feel like um, how we go about in our relationship wrestling with those hard things says a lot about the community that we're in, right? Because we can oftentimes have differing views. Sometimes when we learn, you know, we might be, you know, shifted a little bit or shifted the other way a little bit. And so we come into community to learn. And I hope that in community, that we're not so cemented into, you know, what it is that we have left room and an openness to learn beyond what we think we already know. 
So what is our part in this covenantal relationship? Coming to church is one of them. Being part of community, coming together to worship is part of this covenantal relationship. Obedience, what does this look like? What does obedience look like in relation to this covenantal relationship that we have with God? Right. It is a willingness to do it, not because you have to, but because you want to. That kind of goes back to when we were talking about orthodoxy and orthopraxy, that you're doing should come out of your being, being in Christ, Christ in you, Christ through you, right? So our doing should come from our being in Christ, not this forced, I have to be there so everybody sees me, I have to check off these boxes so I can get to heaven, do all the right things. being who God wants you to be. And we're all different, right? And not trying to imitate somebody else. I mean, I have four kids. They're so different. Like, they're so different. We are clearly created as individuals, even identical twins that share all of the things and we can't even tell them apart have different personalities. So figuring out who we are, who God wants us to be, the gifts, figuring out the gifts that he has given us, right? And then using them to glorify him. I feel like this covenantal relationship that we have also gives us instruction or an obligation to really look at what it means to interact with other people in any any sphere whether it's church or at home or the neighborhood or at work or you know your town or your country or the world i f- i feel like because of this covenant co- covenantal relationship we have an obligation to figure out what is intended for us in regards to relationship. And that's what, we're, that's what this promise is. That's why the topic of the practice of promise is so important to us. So Jesus tells us what he wants our promise to be. And that's in Matthew 28, um, 16 through 20. I think I wrote that on the back side of your sheet. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Okay. Anybody have a page number in the blue Bible? Eight thirty-five in the blue Bible. Chapter twenty-eight, verses sixteen through twenty. This is the Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him. They, worsh- they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the, of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the promise that Jesus made to the disciples. And are we not disciples? Followers of Christ are disciples. And so this is the promise he has made to us. I will be with you until the end of time. And then when we go back, remember the Beatitudes that we read last week, he's, he's telling us, he's giving us more instruction. There's so much, so much for us to think about. And then two Sundays ago in Hebrews 5, this is why I said Hebrews before, in Hebrews 5, he says, keep your life free from love of money, be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave nor forsake you. That's Jesus' promise to us. Do we believe it? Do you believe it? Do you have any reason not to believe it? What is a reason that somebody would not believe that Jesus will follow through with this promise? Yes, so if there's some catastrophic thing that happens or a death, an accident, oftentimes people will doubt, how does God allow this to happen? And so they can, they can doubt. They lose their faith. What's another way? One's what... Right. Right. Okay, so we've had people predict Jesus coming back, right? We've had dates fly by. And so if people have this date in their mind and it flies by, it's like, oh, maybe this isn't really happening. You know, he does not tell us when. And you can have whatever date you want in your mind, but nobody really knows if it's right. Is it possible for somebody's interactions with another human being in relationship to cause another person to perhaps not have faith in Jesus and their promises? We can be a stumbling block. And what about us could be a stumbling block? What we say, what we do, the promises that we don't keep. Yeah, if we're judgmental, critical. Yeah, lying, gossiping, all of the things. Right. And I think that what I think that what we're getting at in this particular conversation right now is that as Christians, we can we can oftentimes represent poorly, right? When we're behaving in ways that are not in alignment with what we have been instructed, right? Yeah, 
right, the greatest threat to Christianity are Christians, right? It's the hypocrisy, right? It's the hypocrisy. We, we have like hypocrisy alert, alarms, like we see it in the news, right? We'll call that in a minute. We'll call somebody else's hypocrisy in a minute, but we're a little slow to call out our own. And if it's pointed out to us, oftentimes we don't want to hear it. It might even it might even have a negative impact on a relationship if somebody tells you or me, points out a hypocrisy. Yeah. So again, I think the topic of practicing promise keeping, promise making, promise keeping is really crucial to what it means to be in this in a community, any community. The church community, the neighborhood community, the family, the state, country, world, how we interact with people matters. Whether or not we keep our promises matter. So we made this promise if we are followers of Christ and we have entered this covenant we have made a promise to behave in a certain way, right? And I think that this is our big challenge. This is the big challenge, and this is why, for me, it's the topic of community is so important. How can we reconcile? Because I think in the last few years, there's been a lot of hurts in community in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different areas. And we could go on and on and talk about all of them. But I think that one of the ways to seek and be part of some type of um, repair, we need to talk about what it looks like to be a responsible, loving member of a community or a relationship. And so promise keeping is one of the ways that we can do that. Giving of dignity, practicing gratitude, making and keeping our promises. Next week, we'll talk about living truthfully. So who is the beneficiary of God's promise and offer to us? I think these are written on your sheet, these questions. Am I right? Who is the beneficiary of God's promise? Yeah? Okay, we are the beneficiary of his promise. Who is the beneficiary after we make the promise to follow Jesus? It, right? We can say us. We are, we are the beneficiary of, I mean, once you make the promise, we are a beneficiary, right? Because once you make that commitment, you know, the Holy Spirit is now residing in you. So that's a huge benefit if you don't ignore it. <laughs> it certainly is. Yes. Yes. Right. Right. So what does that look like? Other people should benefit from our commitment to be a follower of Christ. Every, anybody, everybody should, whether they're part of our church or our community. Everybody should be a benefit of our decision to be a follower of Christ. And they should benefit by how we interact with them, how we are in relationship with them. 
how we are in community with them, whether or not we afford them dignity, extend gratitude, keep our promises. So what responsibility do we, do we have in this relationship? Like really, what, what is our responsibility? Right. And so, yes, do I expect more from them because they yeah. say they're a follower of Jesus? Yep. And do I feel like I'm not being merciful and giving grace with them? I do. Yeah. And, you know, I've lost a, two handfuls of friends because I, I'm the one that says, well, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, but you do right. this, I mean, yes, a sin is a sin is a sin. Right. But, you know, and that's kind of the quandary we're in right now with yes. all of our friends who don't haven't come back to church. Yeah. Like, do we call them and say, right. where are you? Yep. Right. I, it, I mean, it's a yeah. struggle for me right now. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, um, in fact, that was one of the things that I reflected on, and Lee and I were talking about this as far as um, the commitments and the relationships that we have with one another. So you make a commitment to a small group, and, you know, for me... My commitment to small group might be different because Steve and I are leaders, right? And so to me, it's not an option. Small group, in my mind, is like you, our plans are around small group. We don't determine whether or not we go to small group depending on the plans that come, you know. We go to small group first and we will, but, Right? So you got it, you do. It's a balancing act, you know? So I don't know that, you know, yeah, I think having a conversation with somebody about that, you know, this is part of the commitment we make as a church, being in small groups and part of the small group. And it's really hard when you're not here. It is hard when people aren't there because they miss out. And if your small group is like our small group, like there's deep sharing. I miss weeks of small group because I wasn't in sabbatical and I was like, what did I miss? You guys all got so close. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So starting out a small group with that conversation, you know, that this is what we are wanting from this small group, that we are making a covenant, a promise to one another, to be in each other's lives twice a month or whatever it is through the month of September to May, whatever. Yeah, I think it can be, I think it can be challenging, and the challenging spot is that's my commitment, right? And so do I want that to be Carol's commitment and Rick's commitment and my mom and dad's commitment and everybody's commitment? I, yeah. I do. I mean, I'm responsible for small groups here. <laughs> so I do want that to be. But when people don't, um, I can talk about it. You know, I, I don't have to call up that person and say, you know, why aren't you coming to small group? But we can talk about it, you know, 
about the commitment to one another, to the groups that we are in. Um, and people see, right? People see other people. You know, I don't think that we made, um, like, the really definitive, like, we didn't have a definitive conversation about the expectations that we had. But I think that there was en there's enough people in our small group that show up every single time. It's like, oh, this is what we do, right? So when people watch you, I always think, like, people are watching. You know, people are watching. My kids watch me. You watch me. You know, my colleagues watch me. We watch each other. So we, even when we're not talking or telling people how they should behave, they're watching us. People are paying attention. Yes. Yep, we all break promises. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Right, yes. So we do, we all break promises, right? There is nobody exempt from this. No human is exempt from this. We all do it, big or small. And so, yeah, you're right. There is, you know, a responsibility to make amends when that happens, have a conversation if needed. Oh, okay, yeah. Yes. Yep. Right. Yes. Yeah, there are a lot of, um, yeah, there are a lot of programs like book studies and that kind of thing that will, a they will give you actually like a covenant, a group, like covenantal agreement that the group, you know, agrees to with different studies. Um, yeah, like the ultimate journey here. Yeah, that's a, that is a, that is a place where you need to have some covenantal agreements because there's a lot of life that is shared in those um, sessions and over time. So, yeah. Yeah, I think laying out those expectations of small group are important, those obligations that we have. And, and living, like, we slip up. I'm not perfect, and I hope nobody here expects me to be perfect. Um, but, yeah, doing the best that we can, making amends when we don't. I think that's it. That is the key to living this covenantal commitment that we've made. And yes, other people are the benefit of our covenant. Anybody is, not just people here at Timberwood Church, not just people who are fellow followers of Christ. God promises, God's promise and covenant is unconditional and it is sealed in the death of Jesus and still human response matters because we are we have obligated ourselves to act a certain way by making that agreement so another um, thing that margaret farley said she's the ethicist from um, yale she said there is something about the goal of the covenant that cannot be realized without it. That goal involves mutuality between God and human beings and true mutuality 
depends on the free response of human persons. Yikes. <laughs> I will read it again, yep. There is something about the goal of the covenant, talking about the covenant that we have with God, that cannot be realized without it. You cannot, you cannot realize the covenant without having the covenant. It wouldn't work, okay? That goal involves the mutuality between God and human beings. And true mutuality depends on the free response of human persons. We're the wild card. <laughs> We're the wild card. It, it depends on us. He's depending on us, Heather. I feel like in order for us to see other people, we need to be seen by God. And we have to be known by God. And in that way, then we can know him. But we have to lead with vulnerability yes. in order to make that happen. Yes. Whether that's in our small group um, or whether it's with a neighbor or a coworker or whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. And it is especially true in your own personal relationship with God. I can sit in a time where I say I'm going to read the Bible and pray. But if I don't really let God in to the crevices deep in my heart, I don't let God see me in a way that I'm being really real and vulnerable with him. Right. And yeah. that's the only way that we have that real authentic connection and belonging. Yeah. Because we're just cracked open, broken. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah, there does, um, we do need this sense and or this level of vulnerability, which is actually kind of hard in, in our culture in particular, well, in other cult cultures as well. And we'll talk more about vulnera being vulnerable and vulnerability next week when we talk about living truthfully. Um, but I want to, I want to take a look at, because we've identified a lot of the challenges Promise keeping can be hard. We all break promises. Um, and it is oftentimes out of step with our culture, right? Because we really want our freedom. We don't want to be tied down. We don't want to be restricted. So here are um, some of the challenges to promises. We are weary about making commitments that bind us or limit our freedom. We're weary about making commitments. We want to keep our options open. One of the things that um, I read about is a lot of young people, it seems like, may, I don't know, maybe, maybe you guys do this, I don't know. Um, they don't commit to plans. So they have these tentative plans like, let's tentatively plan to meet at, I don't know, Main Street Ale House on Friday at 6 o'clock. And I've invited six of my friends. I've not invited you verbally. I have texted you. Okay? So let's all do this. And people are going to give me a thumbs up or a heart or whatever. So they respond. And then the time comes and I show up 
but maybe only one other person shows up, the five other people got a better offer. So nobody committed. I'm not saying this really happened, but it certainly could. <laughs> so nobody really committed. They hold their plans and their promises to one another really loosely. And I noticed this with my younger kids because I'll say, what are you doing? And like, where are you going? What is your plan for the day? And she's like, I don't know. I'll let you know when I'm there. Okay, that makes it really hard <laughs> for me. Um, and then I'll, you know, text, what, what are you doing? It's something so random that I, like, what? What? How did you get there? So, yeah, this just freedom. People want their freedom. They don't want to be obligated or tied down to something. Um, I think about that in, as far as, like, volunteering time or committing to committees or small groups or that kind of thing. They, in, they kind of infringe on our freedom a little bit. We also has a, have a distrust of authority, um, leadership, and institutions. I think that's developed more over time. I see that, um, unfortunately, in my own children, like with authority at school, when they, you know, don't have a high level of respect for the person in charge, or they, you know, or they'll talk about the person in charge, which I used to be that person in charge, so could you tone it down a little bit? Like, <laughs> you're kind of being rude. <laughs> but of course they would never talk about me like that. And they're so glad that I am not the person in charge anymore <laughs> while, they're, while they're there. So another challenge is that we have this me focus. And I'm speaking generally in our culture. We have a me focus, and we have become rather pragmatic and utilitarian about the commitments we make. Like we ask questions like, what will be the best outcome for me if I make this commitment? Will it work for me? What's the bottom line? Like, what do I get out of this commitment? I think in their minds. Yeah, I think in their minds. I think some people would. I mean, I do. I think some people would. But, but you, yeah, some people would ask it. But I think, you know, a lot of times, well, I think about, like, when I have asked one of my kids to mow the lawn, well, what do I get for doing it? A bed to sleep in? I don't know, clothes, food, a ride. <laughs> yeah, I think that promises sometimes are used as a tool to get what you want with, with sometimes no intention of ever following through with it. Very short-lived. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can, I can make a promise and break it only so many times before you figure me out, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think there are people who are going to make promises fully intending to get what they want and then walking away from it. And we'll talk about that because that's kind of a, cont a contractual type of mindset. So um, the other challenge is this consumer type of mindset. So when it's like, what am I going to get out of it? 
Um, we can mix sometimes this idea of covenantal relationships with a contractual relationship, right? So a, a contractual view of promises deliberately defines the relationships very narrowly, right? And once the obligation is fulfilled, the exchange is over. When I sign the paper to pay for my car, and once I make that last payment, it's over, done. But the contract also tells me exactly what is gonna happen if I don't make my payment, right? So very narrowly defined, and it's used to fulfill a personal need. I needed a car. I wanted to, that car. I didn't need you know, any particular car, but I wanted that car. And they wanted my business. So it's, you know, we're both getting something out of it, but it's still a very personal transaction. And then the covenantal understanding of a promise reflects on a set of shared commitments. And it rarely has an exit clause. Like, like in some contracts, you can get out of this, but here's what you have to do. Or some people will sign a non-compete. Like, you can get out of this, but if you do, you have a non-compete. You can't work in this industry for five years. Or you can't work in this industry within a 30-mile radius, or whatever it is. A personal guarantee. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the other thing with the covenantal, you know, it's a shared commitment. Like, yes, me buying a car and having it financed is a shared commitment, but it's not, a real, it's not relational. It's very businesslike. It's very contractual. Um, it's like a, it's a consumer mindset on both sides. And so in a, in a covenantal understanding, and mindset, the relationships are oftentimes extended and deepened. Like you might, here's, here's an example for here. Let's say that somebody agreed nine years ago to volunteer in the children's ministry. And I was the person who invited them to consider it and got them in, and they've been doing it for years, and we have developed a relationship over time. And now maybe we're in small group together. Now maybe we've moved on and we're not in small group together, but we're friends and we still get together for lunch or coffee or whatever. So that relationship developed and it deepened. If I had her sign a contract <laughs> that said, you're going to show up every other Sunday for the 9 o'clock service and teach the second grade class. And if you try to get out of it, I'm going to call you and make you feel bad. <laughs> that relationship probably wouldn't go very deep and extend for very long. So the covenants... Um, Covenantal relationships, they also tend to bring in this sense of vulnerability as well. There is a vulnerability in a covenantal relationship. Because like Heather said, 
you put things on the table. Like, when you get married, there's vulnerability there. There really is no vulnerability in a contract. Like, it, if it is a good contract, it is tight. Although there are lawyers who can probably find some loophole or pinhole <laughs> in any contract. So when and if we bring a consumer mindset to a faith community, we're setting the stage for probable disappointment and hurt. Can you see that? If our relationships aren't these mutual understandings and these relationships that have some sense of vulnerability, you know, truth, connection, building, deepening relationships. If everything was contractual in a faith community like this, it wouldn't feel very personal. It would be a hard place to feel seen, heard, valued. Can you think of any other potential problems with mixing covenantal and contractual relationships in a, at a local level or a global level? Yes, yes. So Phil said, um, God's covenantal relationship with us doesn't say that we will be happy all the time. I oftentimes will say to people, um, a lot of times people will come in and they're, they'll say, I just want peace. I just want to experience peace. And whatever peace is, like different, I think people have different views of what peace might be. But I've often said to people who are struggling with something, the promise of God's peace is not the promise of the absence of pain. It's the promise that you can be okay in the midst of it because you have this relationship and you have these relationships. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think a misunderstanding of are <laughs> we add things to what God's part of this covenantal relationship is. We add oftentimes what we want it to be. Okay, strengths. Here are the strengths of promise, promising. These are the things that strengthen communities in relation to promises. So promises work when these things happen. Number one you're counting the cost of a commitment that you're asking somebody to participate in or be part of. So you're counting the cost. Like, I understand, like, this is a huge commitment. Like, if you're on a committee, like, let's say that you are planning VBS with me. <laughs> it's a commitment. 
And it's a big undertaking. And I understand what I'm asking from people when I do that or when I invite them to be part of that. And so when people say, no, it's not something that I can do right now, I respect that, right? I used to um, count the cost for people in, a, in the wrong way. So I oftentimes would pray about volunteers that, you know, God would bring people to my mind or, you know, something like, get, help me out here. And I would get these names, like these names would pop up and then sometimes they'd be there for days and, and I would think, I know, are you kidding me? I cannot ask her. She's got four little kids. There's no way that I'm gonna ask her to commit to this. And then I wouldn't even ask her. And then all of a sudden one day, I heard this little voice in my head and I know whose it was. Why are you answering for her? Why are you being a broker and not an in inviter. And so what I decided to do is if names would come to me, regardless, you know, I would ask the person. I would say to them, I would invite them, I, I would say, you know what, I've been praying about this and your name has popped several times and I wanna share with you an opportunity to participate in whatever it is. Here's what it entails. You do not have to answer me right now. I just want you to, Think about it, take some time, and I'll check back with you, you know, in a few days or in a week or whatever. And I can't tell you how many times the person who I thought would say no would say yes. But I told them what the cost was, right? I considered the cost. I shared it with them. I didn't hold anything back. So when we make promises and we can count the costs and be honest about what it costs, to be in that relationship and that commitment, that strengthens our ability. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, when I, when I was first starting to understand this calling to Timberwood, the very first time, um, John invited me to have coffee with him. And um, so I had coffee with him, and what he wanted to talk about was there was this vacancy for the last like, like five or six months for children's ministry. And he would wanted to pick my brain about who I knew because I was in education and and I left the meeting and I was like, yeah, I can, yeah, let me think about this for a while and just keep my you know, eyes out there. And a few weeks passed, my job that I had was cut. And I was like, no problem. I could go do this job or this job, I'll be fine, which was true. I would really be fine. But then um, I met with John and I, I gave him some names and he was like, oh, okay. And um, then we, uh, we left that meeting, and, he, and then a few weeks later, I told Steve, I said, I think it's actually me. I actually think I'm supposed to apply for this. And he was like, uh, no. Like, we can't afford for you to do that. Like, that's crazy talk. 
And I was like, okay, great. He said no. <laughs> that was the one time I was like, he's the head of the household. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, I kind of was like, oh, great. He says no. Um, and then, and then I, it, we let it go for weeks. And then we went to a, like a marriage retreat or something like that. And there was worship music. And all of a sudden, Steve is sitting next to me with his head down. And I was like, what is wrong with you? And he looks up and he's a wreck. And he says, I can't hold you back. Uh, you are supposed to do this. And I was like, ah, are you sure? He's like, yeah, I'm sure. You're it. So then, yeah, I went to John and I was like, um, I actually think that it's me that is supposed to apply. And he's like, finally, <laughs> like, here's the process. But he was very patient. You know, I really wasn't sure about it. Um, but he did, like, I, we did have to. He was clear about what this looked like, what you're committing to. Yes, it's very different than what you've done in the past. So he honored that, you know, in that commitment that I was going to make. Honoring faithfulness and fidelity. So keeping prom um, promise keeping is usually overlooked when it's functioning really well. We really don't think about it. We don't thank people for keeping the simple promises, like, oh, thanks, Mom, for picking me up. Although Lily does do that now because she's being snarky because I did forget her. <laughs> so now she's like, oh, thanks for picking me up. <laughs> but on, like on a serious note, how often do we extend that gratitude to somebody for keeping their commitment, their promise, or that covenant? I mean, I think that you know, I'm certain that I will thank my husband on Sunday for keeping the commitment with me to raise these four children together. Do I do it outside of Father's Day? Mm, maybe when there's a hard week or two in there, I might. Like, I'm so glad I'm doing this with you. Or anniversaries. We might thank somebody for keeping their covenant of marriage with us and the fidelity that comes along with that. But how often do we acknowledge those little things? I know that it, like, as part of parenting, if I ask my child to do something and they say they're going to do it and they actually do it, I am like, thank you so much. I can't even tell you how helpful that is. And as a parent, I know that positive reinforcement makes them continue and want to repeat it because generally speaking, we want to please people. And so I think about how often do we actually do that with adult friends or anybody? Like, just thank you. Recognizing the blessing of consistency. We talk about the consistency that we have with small groups or volunteer commitments or committee involvement and that kind of thing. So recognizing the blessing of, con of consistency. Showing up matters, right? We talked about that in regards to small group. Being able to rely on somebody is a blessing. The fact that I could schedule like 50 people to show up at certain times on a Sunday to teach Sunday school was a pure blessing, not just to me, but all of those kids that expect to see Phil Kwame doing the story on Saturday. Or, no, Sunday. Sunday. There's no service on Saturday. 
But what a blessing that is to have that consistency. And the consistency also helps us to weather storms, like when things aren't so great, in a community or in our relationship. So a long, you know, consistency over a period of time, and then when we hit a bump in the road, like a pandemic, the consistency pays off. It keeps us strong. Patience is another one, allowing time for commitments to develop and a promise to be fulfilled. We're pretty impatient. We tend to be pretty impatient. That's why people are trying to guess when Jesus is coming back. We're super impatient. We don't want to wait. Our culture just really demands immediate results. And some things take time. Like, it may take... Um, it took time for me coming in here to really find my place and to really fully understand the commitment that I was making to Timberwood. But all of my friends, staff, colleagues, were really patient, and they're still patient with me because we're all still figuring it out, right? And so patience with promises to come to fruition and to develop to develop is helpful. A willingness to stay with the process. Sometimes things can be painfully slow. And to stay connected during difficult times and uncertainty. I think consistency and patience is helpful there. Telling and retelling our stories. So promises, when we um, re-articulate the vision for something, like I think about how often Timberwood Church talks about who we are, what we believe, um, you know, outreach, leadership, spiritual formation, you know, those are, those are like grounding things. Those are reminders of the commitment that we have made to outreach, leadership, spiritual formation for everybody who comes through the doors. Also retelling stories or just telling a story. When we make a commitment like publicly in marriage, that's public, that's telling your story. And oftentimes, whoever's doing your wedding pastor is gonna tell part of your story in the ceremony. A baby dedication, when we do baby dedications, there might be some you know, explanation um, of the family. And baptism. I think about our baptisms, when every single person that is going to be baptized gets up and says something about why they are choosing to be baptized. That's telling or retelling a story. And then relying on God's grace and power. This, I think, can be challenging. I know that for a long time, it was very challenging for me um, and it still often is relying on God's grace and power, not relying on our efforts or sheer grit of keeping promises and commitments. Like if I work hard enough, I can do this. I think about my first few years here. If I work hard enough and do the right things, this will go really well. And it was, a, it was painful. It was painful for, for the first year 
because I was trying. My sheer grit, determination, and my you know work hard ethic was going to get all of this done. And I, I didn't even consider God's grace or the power of the Holy Spirit to get things done. I just kicked him right out because I could do it. And so reliance on God's grace and the power that comes from the Holy Spirit can really help us to keep our promises when things get tough. Big promises and little promises. When marriages are hard, I feel like God's grace and the Holy Spirit can help us through those hard times. When parenting is hard, God's grace and the Holy Spirit can be helpful in those times. When it's hard to be part of a community, a neighborhood, a church, a small group, a committee, a whatever it is, I think God's grace and power can really help us get through some of those struggles that we have in keeping the promises and the commitments. Like when we want to run, like just get me out of here. I can't do this anymore. So to rewind, the, the purpose of making promises, keeping promises, we need to go back to this commitment that we have made as followers of Christ. What does that look like? What do we learn in here? And then how do we keep those promises? How does, how does anybody keep the promises that they have made in order to give life to relationships, give life to communities, families, small groups, committees, whoever it is that you're involved with in community. If there's two people, there's community, right? It's a relationship. It's a community. Anything jumping out, anything So next week, we'll come back. I'll ask anybody to share. I did on that um, backside of that, I did put down the three um, scriptures that I read, and those are good to meditate, you know, read, meditate, read them multiple times, sit quietly with them. Um, I know that we, I'm not very good at sitting quietly, um, but if you can practice some quiet, that would be a good exercise this week. And then when we come back next week, um, I'll invite people to just share when some of the ahas or what, um, what was revealed to you, what you struggled with, what stuck with you as you go throughout this week in you know, pertaining to promise, making promises, keeping promises in community. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for being present. Thank you for our conversation. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in community and functioning in community and working together, problem solving, thinking together, really wrestling with what it means to be in a covenantal relationship with you or uh, a commitment to somebody else and what it means to be a promise keeper, making our, making our promises and keeping them. 
Help us as we go just to be mindful of the importance of even the smallest. Help us to pay attention to the tiniest of promises that we make that are made to us, that are followed through with, and allow those promises to remind us of the ultimate promise that you have made to us and the gift of grace and salvation through Jesus that you have offered us. We thank you for your presence here. We give all of this and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. 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 Yeah.